Well, hello, everyone. Sorry, I think this time you're waiting on me. I uh, left my sermon in my office, so uh, grateful that you're here uh, today. A couple of announcements as we begin. Uh, community groups each and every week, Monday, or not Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Uh, right now, uh, each group is meeting differently uh, throughout the week, so reach out on the on the. You can go online, reach out to the different leaders and ask them how they're gathering under these circumstances. And uh, I really hope that you do that. I really hope that you do uh, engage with uh, our community groups because that's really where the life of the church is experienced. And as we're continued on this mission, as we're hoping for Christ to build his kingdom, that's one of the ways uh, to bring people to the knowledge of his church and his people uh, as they see him. So please be out there sharing this news with your friends and your family members and your coworkers and the people behind uh, you know, the, who are the servers, people behind the coffee booths and all that kind of stuff. So please be out there sharing this uh, good news and inviting them to church because we don't invite them here to just build Maranatha. We, we invite them here because they will hear about Christ. They will hear the gospel proclaimed. That's why we are uh, doing that. Also, we have a members meeting coming up November 22nd. That's our last uh, meeting of the year as members. We'll go over the fun elements of the budget and what our, uh, our hopes are for the next year in 2021 uh, as well. I want to remind everybody that uh, the Kairos cookies will be due not this week, but next week, so on the 15th. So if you can uh, bake some cookies, we, we go and we give them to uh, the, the prison up there in Marion County. Uh, I think they serve some 4,000 dozen cookies or something like that over a period of four days or something. It's, it's incredible. They can't go into the prison uh, this year, but they can deliver the cookies and pass them out and give them out. So if you want to involve with that, there are uh, sheets over there on the Connect booth. Just grab one of those. There's instructions on where you can get the cookies how you can uh, prepare them and where you need to deliver them, or you can just bring them here and we'll get them to the person they need to get to, okay? Well, if you would, pray with me and we will uh, begin. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your love and grace. Thank you for your spirit that guides us. Please, Father, I ask in this time that you give us uh, ears to ear and eyes to see your truth. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. One last reminder, the Connect cards that are there in front of you and for you uh, online, there's a digital Connect card uh, on the website, so please fill those out. Uh, those cards are there so we know how we might be able to pray for you, how we can serve you in this time, so uh, if you're a regular attender, a member, please do that as well. Take that time. They're right there in front of you. You can drop them in the collection baskets or hand them to somebody in the booth, myself, somebody with the badge, uh, and we'll get them where they need to go, so please uh, do those. All right, so we're going to be in John chapter 14, verses 25 through 31, so so if you want to turn there, John chapter 14, 25 through 31, and if you would stand with me in reverence for God's word as we read and hear what Christ has for us today. John 14, verse 25 through 31. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat. I'll pray again. Father, thank you for this time again. 
Thank you for your word. I pray for your spirit to give us a heart to receive this truth. I'm grateful, Lord, that we can come each and every week and uh, we can hear your truth, which you've revealed to us through your scriptures. Be with us. Uh, continue to keep our church unified under the headship of your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so for today's sermon, I would like you to try and find the answers to three questions. Those questions are this. One, what is the Holy Spirit's role? Two, what is Jesus' current role as he and we wait for our redemption? And three, why is that good news for us? Or how is his current position an opportunity for us to have peace? Now, we'll leave those up there for just a minute. And as I uh, give you a little bit more time to, uh, to write those questions down, I want to remind us about what's happening at this moment in John's gospel as he narrates Jesus' life and ministry. If you remember, Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem. They've already walked with and watched Jesus perform all sorts of miracles, which were meant to be lessons for us to see the evidence of his divinity. They've done the foot washing bit. Judas Iscariot has officially left this band of brothers. Peter has been informed of his coming denial, and Jesus has told them about heaven and how he promises that he will not leave them as orphans. But what they don't know yet is that tomorrow Jesus will die. What they don't quite know as of this moment in the story that tomorrow Jesus will die, and that is where we are. That is where we are. We true. We, we have uh, about, well, not about, we definitely have seven chapters left in this gospel, but we are right at the end of Jesus' life and ministry here on earth. The next seven chapters are the entire uh, next day, really, of him going and dying on the cross, which is why Jesus has been downloading all of this weighty theological truth over the last couple chapters, including this one and the next. Prior to this, Jesus has mainly taught these men through his actions. They've been experiencing his word of truth as he is the word of truth. But now, now Jesus is setting them up for an even greater faith as they will have to live by faith and not just sight. And as he speaks to them, as he speaks to them these eternal truths, he also promises them something. He promises them that he will be the one to bring to bear the meaning of his words through this helper that he's going to send, through this, this, this helper that he promises. Once he leaves, he will send the Holy Spirit. We learned that the helper is the Holy Spirit last week. He will send the Holy Spirit for their benefit and what we know from Ephesians, our seal of salvation. So look at the first, uh, the first two verses of our text with me. Verse 25 and 26, Jesus says this, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Quickly, I want to point something out that's in this text. Verse 26 says that the Father is the one who's going to send the Holy Spirit. But then later on, once we get into 15, chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus also says that he is the one who's going to send the helper. And this doesn't have to confuse us. It doesn't need to be confusing because Jesus explains it right after this by saying that this will be done in his name. 
And the way we're meant to understand that is it will be sent sort of per his authority. Now, this is sort of like how we are to pray uh, in the name of Jesus as well. Our prayers are not answered based in our authority, but as children of God, a position that was purchased by Christ, we can go to the Heavenly Father and petition him in the name of the Son for his will to be done in our lives. Although the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God, therefore, he's sent to be something like Jesus' emissary. All right? He is the ambassador of truth on behalf of Jesus in his authority. And this is what Jesus says in 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Spirit's role then is to reveal the truth of God because he is God. In just this one verse, we have this great picture of the relationships or how the relationships work within the Trinity. The Trinity is this uh, doctrinal term that attempts to define God for us. It's actually not in the scriptures. We don't find anywhere in the Bible the word Trinity, but it's a doctrinal term as a way to sort of uh, define God for us. And we use that term, again, Trinity, to, as a way to summarize how God is one in essence, but he is in fact three in personhoods, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now these three persons who are God and who make up the divine Trinity, they in fact have different roles. They have different roles as they work together through creation and their providence as well as redemption. And it's an easy way for us to remember their roles if we think of it like this. The Father purposes it, the Son accomplishes it, and the Holy Spirit applies it. Okay? So the Father purposes, the Son accomplishes, and the Spirit applies And Jesus said to his disciples in verse 25 and 26, and I'm paraphrasing, I've taken this time to inform you of these things. Again, these are the lessons uh, brought about through his actions and his, uh, his, his teachings about his promises, which are meant to press them forward into mission once he leaves. I've taken this time to inform you of these truths because I'm here with you now. But it will be the helper who will teach you these things as he has the power to make you remember my works and promises. So it's the Holy Spirit's job to come and bring remembrance and understanding to Christ's works and his words and his promises. Again, the role of the Holy Spirit is to enable the disciples to understand what they could not understand otherwise. The Holy Spirit takes these things that Jesus is teaching and talking about, his works and his words, and empowers the disciples with a knowledge which allows them to believe and trust in the way of truth for their salvation. So wherever they go, There's a purpose in this. Wherever they go, they now then will be able to live and teach and share in all the true things that find their end in Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. And all of this goes back to Jesus. All of this goes back to belief and trust and understanding in who Jesus actually is and who he's revealed himself to be. This is the way that the Christian faith exists as well as it is lived. This is how it happens. 
through the Holy Spirit's power. This is how the Christian faith exists and is lived. The Holy Spirit is given to us by King Jesus, who is Lord of creation. Now again, as he's already said and he's reiterating, there's a reason that we're gifted with this Holy Spirit, and he says, it's because I'm leaving. Verse 28, you heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Jesus is having to repeat himself, and in that it shows us that the disciples are still struggling with, Jesus, with, with what Jesus is teaching them. When Jesus has to repeat himself, we recognize that the disciples are still struggling with what Jesus is teaching them, but our struggling with the truth never weakens the truth, right? Even our own struggling with this biblical truth doesn't, in fact, ever have the, uh, the power or the authority to weaken the truth. On the other hand, or, or rather on one hand, Jesus is working and proving to them that he is a true prophet. This is what he's doing. He's, he's showing them. I'm, I'm telling you beforehand so you know that it's true. He's proving to them. He's working in a way to show them that he is a true prophet. Although what's about to happen, what's about to take place will prove to them that he's more than just a prophet. What's about to happen the very next day in his death and then uh, three days later in his resurrection, what's about to take place is going to prove to them that he's more than just a prophet, but that he, in fact he is the one who gave voice to the prophets. He's going to prove his divinity. He's going to prove that he is the one that they were speaking of. Jesus desires our trust in his word. He desires our trust in his word because like today, people then would say and do all kinds of things just to uh, gain popularity, just to create some sort of following, to make themselves feel better, which is why Jesus says to them, I'm telling you this now before it happens so that you know that I'm telling the truth, right? If I were to tell you something about tomorrow and it in fact came true, you would wonder how I knew what the future held. Jesus was proving to them that he knows all things. And here's this simple fact. If anything that Jesus Christ promised would come true didn't come true, Jesus would not be who he claimed to be. If anything that Jesus said would come true didn't come true, Jesus would not be the person that he claimed to be. God would not be God if he is not truthful and perfect. He can't be. He couldn't be. Okay, so back to Jesus's point. He says this. He says, I'm going to leave you, but I will return to get you. And then he says in verse 28, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For The Father is greater than I. If you would have loved me, you would have rejoiced that I get to go back to the Father because I'm going there, for the Father is greater than I. Now, at this point, these disciples, they would be aware that, that Jesus is talking about God when he uses the name Father. They would have understood this. And they would have understood that he has told them that he is leaving. And it's possible 
that at this point, they actually even understand the fact or they're able to grasp the fact that Jesus is talking about his own death. He's told them multiple times. They may, be, they may want to deny it. They may want to defend against it, but at least they understand who he's talking about and the fact that he's talking about his own death. But still, their focus is on themselves, which is why Jesus rebukes them, which is why Jesus provides this rebuke that he does. He says, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. I'm going to the Father. The disciples should have had a heart of joy, not because of what they would get from Jesus leaving, not because they would be getting this new thing, this, this new helper, not because it would mean that uh, there's this opportunity that they would get to do greater works through themselves, not because they would finally understand all things that Jesus was teaching them. No. They should rejoice We can rejoice. They should rejoice. We can rejoice because it means that Jesus accomplished his work. That's that's why we rejoice. We should rejoice because it it means that Jesus accomplished his work and that his return to the Father means a return to his glory, his own glory, which he laid down in order to come to earth and provide for us our salvation in him. He laid down that glory for you and for me. And it means it has been accomplished. Hebrews 12.2 says this, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As Jesus, in this moment, proceeded towards the cross, he continued to serve his disciples, even though his own death loomed in the near future. Even though he was, he was stressed out, we'll see that in a moment. He understood what was sitting before him. We're going to see it in a couple chapters in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's, he's so anxiety-ridden that he sweats blood. Even though the cross loomed, he continued to serve. And when it came time to be that hour, when the hour finally came, Jesus despised the shame. He understood what it meant. It was humiliation, but he despised the shame. He he disregarded his own status and he endured the cross for you and for me and for his glory to be glorified again. He did this for two reasons. First and foremost, uh, like I said, uh, was because it meant that he could go back to the Father's house. His work would be accomplished. He could go back to the Father's house. He would be returning to his rightful seat on the throne with his Father. The ultimate joy in a believer's heart is not found in our salvation. Rather, it is in the victorious joy and glory that deserves to Jesus Christ. It's our ultimate joy, our ultimate hope, and our ultimate rejoicefulness is in Christ's victory, in his glory, not our own. Now, to very, very briefly summarize this plan of action that was set in place and was accomplished in Christ is this. God the Father sent his own son on this incredibly costly mission. 
And as the son is about to accomplish that mission, he rejoices in his return to the father with victory in hand. Christ knew that he would be victorious as well. When he returns home, he gives all the glory to the father in saying that he is greater than I. The father is greater than I. Now, this thing that is about to happen to Jesus, the cross and death, which looms over him at this moment in this story, is not a work of anyone else besides God the Father. What's about to happen to Christ is not the work of anyone else besides God the Father. This is God's will. This is the purpose of why Christ has come, why he was sent. Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Jesus loves the Father. Jesus loves the Father, which is why he follows his commandments. He loves the Father, which is why he perfectly follows his commandments, As well, the second reason, the second reason why Christ endured the cross and despised the shame, Jesus had such joy in his heart as he faced this terrible thing, cross and and his own death. He did this because of what it meant for us. Yes, ultimately because of the glory that he would receive with the Father, that is the chief victory, but also he had joy in his heart because of what it meant for us. And this is very important for us to understand because it has to do with what has been given to us in this text. What has been given to us. Like the disciples, we too should rejoice in Jesus' return to the Father. Again, yes, first and foremost, because it returns to Him the glory that He deserves, that He is only worthy of, but also because His return made it possible for His ministry of intercession. For His ministry of intercession, the Apostle John uh, who wrote this gospel, reminds us of this truth in 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, he's talking to the church, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. You love the Father, follow his commandments. He's writing so you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, He is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. All of those who are chosen by Christ from every tribe, tongue, and nation, the entire world has this promise presented to them. What this is telling us is that Jesus is alive. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and today, right now, why is it so important that Jesus is alive? Why is it so important that the resurrection is true? Because he is alive and he is continuously praying and interceding on our behalf with the Father. That is why it matters so much, which is how and why he says to us, verse 27, peace I leave with you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Jesus is saying, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is the legacy that Christ has left for us. 
This is what he is giving and leaving behind for us. Nothing can stand over or above Jesus Christ because he has overcome the world and he has conquered both sin and death. Nothing stands above Christ. Nothing stands above Christ. Not only that, he created all things, which is how he can definitively say, it has no claim on me. He created all things. He has authority over all things. He, therefore, he determines all things at all times in every moment of every day. It has no claim on him. Jesus has always possessed perfect peace. Perfect peace because he knows and he trusts with perfect knowledge the will of the Father. He has perfect peace because he knows the Father. He knows the Father as well for us who believe, for us who love Jesus and are striving to walk in his commandments, this is the sort of peace that he gives to us. Through his spirit, this is the sort of peace that he gives to us as we love him and strive to follow in his commandments. This is Jesus's peace. Again, this is what he gives us. It's his peace and he gives it to us. He even says that this is not like the world's. This is not like the world. Now, we all live in the world, and every single one of us has tried to find peace somewhere other than Christ, right? Every last one of us has done that. But as we get into this, I want to encourage you to not be like the world. As the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance where you are looking for peace, be not like the world, please. In the world, peace is tied to resources, to success. But God's peace is found in relationship with him and his church. The world's peace will depend on your personal ability, where Christian peace depends on Jesus being enough for us. Jesus is enough for us. The world's peace is something that you might hope for that could happen, or maybe it's something that you have to work for, whereas Christian peace comes to us in the form of a wonderful gift of grace that to be received through faith. It's a gift of grace received through faith. The world might even declare peace. We hear that in time to time. The world might even declare peace because outwardly it doesn't seem like there's any conflict going on. What do we yearn for right now in this moment that's going on in our country, in our world? We yearn for peace and what we think of that is, is actually no conflict. That's when the world will declare peace, when on the outside it seems like there is no conflict going on. But the type of peace that Christ provides will go on forever. The type of peace that Christ provides will go on forever in spite of our trials and our troubles, despite our trials and troubles, because a Christian's peace, which is internal, is made possible by Jesus Christ's blood on the cross because of what he has done. Our relational peace with the Father is accomplished by Christ and it is applied by the Holy Spirit. Accomplished by Christ and applied by the Holy Spirit. The people of this world know nothing of this. They know nothing of this because they can only walk by sight and depend on what is external. They must walk by sight and only depend on what's eternal. Whereas Christians, we live by faith in the power of the Spirit because we depend on what is eternal. 
right? What is eternal. Warren Wiersbe says, we have the Spirit of God within us, the Savior above us, and the Word before us. This is how we walk through this world. One of the reasons the Holy Spirit is given to us is for us to know and understand and remember the Word of God. And in knowing God's Word, we will learn more about Jesus, which will in turn give us more affection for Him and develop in us greater peace. This is what He is promising. The disciples didn't fully understand all things at this time, but what Jesus was telling them was they didn't need to feel troubled because he was, in fact, going to make all things possible. As well, Jesus understood that his time was short, and also, should we? Jesus knew that his time was short on this earth, and we too should understand this truth. Our days are numbered in this world. When Jesus was faced with this reality, he didn't turn from it because he knew full well who he belonged to, what he was put here to do, and why he must accomplish it. Why he must accomplish it. Maranatha, if you cling to your faith in Jesus Christ, this world nor Satan has any claim on you. You belong to God. You have, been, you have, you have forgiveness you have redemption, you've been adopted again, you belong to God who is now your Father, you possess the very same Spirit which brought Jesus Christ back to life, that dwells within you. In Him you now have wisdom, you have insight, and He's made it known to you the mystery of His will. That will is to unite all things on earth and in heaven together in Him. That is the will of the Father. The peace that Christ gives us is not this simple comfort as if it's meant to be this, this, this nice warm blanket that we cuddle up with on a cold day, as nice as that sounds. This peace that we're given is not just simple comfort. The comfort that Christ provides us with, with is meant to embolden us for the spiritual battle. It's meant to embolden us for a spiritual battle. One commentator says it like this, Jesus' comfort is not cotton wool for the timid, but it's steel for the courageous. Not cotton wool for the timid, but it is steel for the courageous. So as we live together, unified as one church under one headship of Jesus Christ, let us together follow after Jesus Christ with a peacefulness about us. As we show the world how much we love the Father by giving our lives to Him for His purposes. Do you live for His purposes? What is He calling you to? Remember all of what John has wrote. Let us not allow our church to fall in line with the common apathetic personality of the modern church. The life that we've been given provides us with Christ's peace. It is His peace. It is true peace. And that peace is accomplished, or rather, it is accompanied with a purpose. Your peace that you've been given, the salvation that He has provided with you, provided for you, is accompanied with a purpose. So let's follow Jesus and do what He calls us to do and listen to what He says. Listen, let's rise and go from here.
Maranatha is not the end of the, the, the Christian life, the, the spiritual journey. Let us rise and go from here and share the good news with everyone and anyone that we possibly can because it is the news that everyone needs, because it is the news, the truth, the peace that is eternal. Amen. Now, Christ says, let us rise and go from here. Where is he going? Where is he going in this moment? He is going to defeat the enemy that is coming. Christ knew who he was, what he was to do, and why he must do it. So I ask, will you stand with Jesus in peace and serve as a living sacrifice in this world? Or will you faint away to serve the temporary ruler of this world? If you would pray with me, please. Father, thank you for this challenging word as we recognize the peace that is given to us and how it propels us forward, Lord, not to sit, but to stand, to rise, to live for you as a sacrifice for our good and your glory. Lord, you are worthy of honor, you are worthy of glory. And we rejoice the fact that you are alive, sitting at the right hand of the Father, awaiting the time where you will return and bring heaven to us and restore all things in creation. Father, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the peace you provide us. Let us walk in it and find comfort and have it removed out in our minds. It's in your son's name we pray, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.